Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we use the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those tips with those questions, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too awful long to hear them get answered. So we gather up the unused ones and we address them here on companion videos and we have been falling a little bit behind we've been getting more questions than normal sent in and you know we had uh we had to cut a couple of short shows short due to some of my scheduling stuff so we're behind a little bit so we've got a lot to get caught up on so let's not waste any time and get right into it and by the way if you want to send in one of these uh live questions that you want to have addressed on the main john campia show or on one of these companion videos simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video you can click on it there or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip you'll be getting your comment or question read on the show if it's appropriate for our show and of course you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved here with the john campia youtube channel thank you guys very very much for your support okay now let's get on over to the questions we're going to start getting caught up here with bojacks and bojacks writes hey john i noticed that some reviewers for loki praise the series for being different and unpredictable while knocking falcon and the winter soldier for being straightforward do you think in order to be good every mcu show needs to be different no and listen this is bojacks let me point out something here that as something that's a flaw i think with the fans and myself included. This is something that we do um, that we really shouldn't. And I do it and you do it and everybody does it. And it's really something we should probably stop doing. It's like we we say stuff like, oh, you know, we, re we read two or three critics out of 300 that say, oh, this movie was X and X and X. And then we go on in other conversations say, critics are saying that the thing is X and X and X. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Time out. The critics are not saying that. Two or three of them out of hundreds are saying that, right? And so, but I've done I've done that all the time. I do that all the time. Like I read a couple of critics who say something ridiculous and I go, critics are saying this ridiculous thing. Well, that makes it sound like all the critics and they're really not. I have personally found Bojax and I'm only speaking from my own personal experience here that I don't find most critics are saying that at all. Now, yes, a lot of critics like myself are praising Loki for being really different, and we praised, you know, WandaVision for being really different. But, I mean, that stands out because you're talking about an MCU now that if you count the Disney Plus shows, we're like, what, 25, 26, 27 projects in? And the longer you go, the more and more difficult it is to be to come up and present your movie or show in a really different way than you haven't already done several times before. And I kind of liked Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I know a lot of critics liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier because, you know, it bounced back to that more traditional MCU movie, that action-centric MCU kind of thing. So the idea is not that every single thing has to be different. It's just that you got to change gears, you know? Throw in something like, a Loki that's completely different. Throw in something like the first Doctor Strange movie was very different from anything they'd ever done before. But then switch it up and then do a more traditional comic book movies because traditional comic book movies are awesome. So it's not about doing everything different. It's about changing gears. Don't 
do everything the same all the time. Switch it up. Come back to what works, then go and do something experimental. Then come back to what works, then go and do something experimental. And MCU has always been very, very good at changing gears. And uh, I think that's the key to it. Change gears. Change gears. All right. Thanks for that, Bojax. Next up, uh, we've got Bojax also writes, well, Superman and Lois have done it again. Every time I think they're out of surprises, they shock me again. Have you caught up on the last two episodes? I am. Last night I watched the newest episode, so I'm all caught up now. Uh, I've loved Lois getting some time to shine. This might be my favorite first season of CW shows. I'm so surprised. I, I don't know that I would say it's my favorite first season of CW shows. The first season of Arrow I loved. I mean, I really loved the first season of Arrow uh, and the second season of Arrow. But I am just so pleasantly surprised with Superman and Lois because you guys know I expected zilch out of this show. But it has been really enjoyable. Again, I don't know that I'd say it replaces Arrow as my favorite first season of a show, but it's so much of a surprise and so much better than I thought it would be. It's just a, it's been a delightful viewing experience, a delightful viewing experience. And I am really liking the way they're portraying this Superman. And I love the way they give this Superman his due because they're constantly saying in this show, Superman, like the general said, he is the most powerful being that's ever been on this planet. That's how you treat Superman. Not the way the other CW jackasses treated him in all the other shows where he was just a punching bag boy for everybody to beat up on. Anyway, yeah, so I'm really liking that. All right, next up. Uh, James Germain writes, one of four. Hey, John, MCU does kind of address the worthiness in a subtle way in the first movie. Well, I mean, I've always said they kind of touch on it, but they've, they've never explicitly said, what does the All-Father Odin mean by worthy? That's always been left very, very vague. Like a few subtle things, but it's been left purposely vague. Anyway, worthiness in a subtle way. In the first movie, it's basically the same as in the comics. You see, you have to look at it as to what made Thor unworthy in the first place, which was the fact that he was trying to start a fight just to start a fight. And what made him worthy again was when he made peace with his brother. Uh, This is supported in the second film where you see him more concerned with ending the conflict than to draw it out in any, any longer. And this is made concrete in the second Avengers film where it's revealed why they fight. Clint fights for his family. Tony fights for redemption. Banner doesn't want to fight at all. Steve, on the other hand, is a complex situation where it requires a longer expl- explanation, but to keep it simp- simple, to be worthy is to be willing to fight for peace. Uh, vision is proof of it. I don't want to kill Ultron. He is unique and he is in pain, but that pain will roll over the earth, so he must be destroyed. That why Thor, Steve, and Vision are worthy pitter-patter. I love the way you're thinking on that, James. I really do, but I completely disagree. And the reason I disagree is because your definition of worthy means a lot of people could lift the hammer. A lot of people could lift the hammer. If, If that was the case. And remember, I actually still believe that, you know, at the end of Loki Age of, or Loki Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, when uh, they see Vision's holding the hammer, they say, well, he's an android, so that doesn't count. I actually believe that. I actually believe that, but whatever. I just think that that definition of worthy could then apply to just even a lot of, like a lot of regular human beings, I think would then just be able to walk along and pick up the hammer. I think it is far more unique than that. And how so? 
Well, the MCU has purposefully left it really, really vague. It's left it really vague. Because don't forget, like, Odin the Allfather himself was a conqueror for a while. Like, we heard we heard Hela talk about that a little bit. But, so yeah, I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people writing in ideas about what does worthy mean, and I don't think any of them, or any of my potential definitions, for that matter, have really been able to adequately touch on it because, again, it, it leaves it far too open. That just, you know, it, you're a good person. Well, if you're just a good person, almost any of the Avengers should have been able to lift the hammer. You have to be morally pure. Well, if that's the case, listen, there are, I mean, human beings are assholes, but I think a lot of just regular human beings could lift it, and I don't think that was the all-father's intention. So I think it goes way more beyond that. That's just me. I like the way you're thinking, but like me, I don't think any, that really kind of, encapsulates what it was that was going through the all father's mind and they've never really defined it as such. So we'll just have to wait and see if they touch on it again further on. But I like your thinking process on that, James. All right. Next up, we've got Willow who writes. So you don't like ketchup on eggs. I do not. But as a Canadian, do you like ketchup flavored potato chips? They are my third favorite flavor behind barbecue and sour cream and onion. Sour cream and onion is probably my favorite flavor of potato chips. That's usually the one I'll go for first is sour cream and onion or sour cream and cheddar is one that's come up in the last couple of years. I like that one too. Oddly enough, here's the thing. I've got a friend, uh, uh, a friend of mine from Canada who now lives in Nashville and I needed to send her a gift and all she wanted was ketchup potato chips. And I had to dig around to find some to send some to her. So I sent those to her. And then I, at my housewarming party, I had a guy come over who's also Canadian or comes from Canada and he thought a great housewarming gift for a Canadian would be, you guessed it, ketchup-flavored potato chips. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I do not like ketchup-flavored potato chips. And people think I don't like ketchup. That's not true. I'll put ketchup on hot dogs sometimes or ketchup on burgers sometimes. But I just, I hate ketchup on eggs. And I am not a fan of ketchup potato chips. I know that's very un-Canadian of me, but I'm not a fan of ketchup potato chips. All right. But they are very, for my American friends watch, they are very popular in Canada. People really like ketchup potato chips. Anyway, next up. Thanks for that, Willow. Uh, Anonymous writes, hey, John, longtime fan from the UK. Thank you so much. Is the cause of the multiverse of madness uh, caused by Loki's revenge of Thanos. Does he mess things up by killing him too soon? Boom. I don't think so. I mean, listen, Loki is already introduced. Well, first of all, with the quantum realm, right? There are messy things happening there. And now Loki has introduced the fact that the TVA has to exist because a lot of Nexus events happen and variations happen. So this feels like it's a situation that could get out of control any time. So I honestly don't think we're going to see Thanos come into play here. Yes, he watched a rewind thing of what happened in Endgame, but I really don't think we're going to see Thanos there. Plus, when Kevin Feige talked about Doctor Strange 2, he always talked about like there was this one kind of story arc that takes place in WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, Doctor Strange 2. He never really mentioned Loki, at least not that I'm aware of. So... No, I don't think that's the case. It's an interesting theory, and let's keep our eyes on it, but I don't think that's the case. All right, random British bloke writes, and tips in like $20. Thank you, random British bloke. I appreciate the support, man. Who writes in, theory. In the Loki series, Loki's endgame is to avenge his own death by killing Thanos before his future self is killed. I, you might be anonymous as well. 
Um, causing the multiverse. Huge fan of you and Rob's. Respect from the UK. Bring on the filthy. Well, thank you so much. But as I just kind of said, I, I have detected nothing in this show that suggested there's any kind of Thanos angle to this at all. I think, you know, the only reason they showed that one clip was to see Loki's reaction to witnessing his own death. But there really hasn't been anything in the show. Um, and I want to, yeah, I have seen episode two, so I don't want to tip my hand about what I have or have not seen in episode two. All I will say is I haven't seen anything that suggests Thanos is at all implicated or that it's a, at all a remote part of Loki's motivations or process right now. So I'm just going to say, no, I don't think so. But again, it's a really interesting theory. So let's keep our eyes on it and see where they go from there. All right. Russell Amador writes, uh, where are we at? Uh, hey, John, all the talk of Comic-Con returning had me thinking about our very own festival coming in August in San Antonio. This August, Celebrity Fan Fest will return with Charlie Cox being in attendance. Hopefully can get some no way home answers. Hmm. I, I... Listen, I, while I do believe, while I do believe, not based on any insider information, just me speculating as a fan, I do believe we're going to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in spite, even though there's no official word of that. And there's actually no reason we should believe it. But I'm, I'm kind of believing that for now, even though it's just pure speculation. I don't believe any of the stuff we've heard about uh, Cox. I don't believe any of it. I, I don't, there's been literally no shred of legitimate information. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible. That does not mean it's impossible. But just like I have no real reason to believe that McGuire or Garfield will show up in Spider-Man, but I'm kind of believing it anyway, I, I really don't believe the Charlie Cox thing. I think everybody's holding on to a pipe dream on that. I really do. Plus, I honestly, I don't want Daredevil, that Daredevil in the MCU. I want... Kevin Feige to create. And I, John, didn't you like the Daredevil on Netflix? I love Daredevil on Netflix. Loved it, but it's done. And Kevin Feige is not about doing sloppy seconds. I think he's going to create his own uh, Daredevil that fits in this universe. And, uh, but then, but I don't know that. Remember, I'm just, just me speculating as a fan. I just haven't seen any information that I would consider actually reliably credible to suggest that. So I kind of think people should let it go, but that's just me. That's just me. We'll see where things go. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Dakota writes, I would like either Ron Howard or James Mangold to take on a NASCAR movie showing its first drivers go from running moonshine to racing uh, the first beach race at Daytona. Do a movie on the birth of NASCAR. Uh, both of each directed great racing movies. Yeah, I'm usually, I don't usually do X director directing X movie or X actor being in X role. I, I don't really care, but you are right. Ron Howard directed a tremendous racing theme movie called, I believe it was called Rush with uh, Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl. Um, that movie's fantastic. And then of course, James Mangold, who directed Logan, also directed 4V Ferrari with Christian Bale and Matt Damon, which was incredible. I love that movie. But again, those movies were great. You don't need James Mangold or Ron Howard because neither one of them are great at directing racing movies. They're both just great storytellers. So you get any great storyteller doing a, a movie about NASCAR because what did James Mangold know about is he a race car driver? No. Did you, when you thought about a Ford V Ferrari, would you think James Mangold to direct it? No, but he's a great storyteller. So he made a great movie. 
you don't need Ron Howard or, or James Mangold, but both of them would be great because they're both tremendous film filmmakers. But you can get any director who's really good at their craft and a really good storyteller to go on that. I'm not going to lie. I'm not interested in a NASCAR movie. I'm not interested in NASCAR in the least. But then again, I'm not interested in Formula One either. And I really like that. We just tell a great story and we'll see where it goes. But it doesn't need to be either of those two guys. All right. But if it is, was either one of them, great. All right. B. Wayne writes. Um, so I just read that Netflix series Bridgerton star Renee Je- uh, Jean Page is being seriously considered for the next James Bond. Don't believe it. Um, he's a good actor, got the looks and tons of female fans worldwide, but I'm calling it. This guy will be JJ's black Superman thoughts. Again, I don't really care about X actor and X role things. I don't even know if he's in any decent of an actor. I simply don't know. I tend, look, was he good in Bridgerton? I only saw about three or four episodes of Bridgerton because Ann and Corey were watching it. So, I mean, I saw it and he seemed pretty good in it, but I, I never, let me rephrase that. The last few years I've realized, don't try to guess if somebody's a good actor or not based on one role, right? Never try to guess if somebody's a good actor based on you've seen them in one thing. I simply have too small of a sample size to know uh, if he's any good of an actor. I just have too small of a sample size. I just don't know. I need to see if he can play something else, right? One of the things I always go back to, and let me see if I can uh, bring this up. Um, oh, I can't even remember the name of it now. I, I can't. I can't even remember the name. It was, it was John eh, John Headley? Was that his name? Nope, that's not who I was thinking of. I can't remember. Napoleon Dynamite is what I'm trying to think of here. Hold a second. Napoleon Dynamite. Let me see if I can get this here. Okay, so Napoleon Dynamite. I remember that movie came out, and everybody loved it. I loved it. And John Hedder, that's his name. John Hedder was the star of Napoleon Dynamite, right? And so we saw him in one, and he was great in Napoleon Dynamite. He was great. But everybody then just assumed he's going to be the next big thing. He's going to be the next big thing, right? That's what everybody thought. That's Napoleon Dynamite there. And so what happened was they thought, you know what? Uh, they put him in the bench warmers. I remember that. Just like, okay, just like heaven, he actually wasn't bad in Just Like Heaven uh, with Reese Witherspoon. He actually wasn't bad in that. But then he did the bench warmers, and he really wasn't any good in that. But everybody thought, oh, Napoleon Dynamite. Let's put him in Blades of Glory with Will Ferrell, right? And they thought, what can go wrong? We're putting, like, the hottest comedy actor in Hollywood right now at the time. This is 2007, I think. Um, in Blades of Glory with the hottest upcoming guy in John Heater, right? But again, it, it proved out that he's actually not that good. And I'm not saying anything disparaging about the guy personally. Like, I, I don't, he might be the, like, the coolest guy in the world. I simply don't know. But he just simply wasn't that good and he just kind of disappeared. And that's kind of what happens when people try to see somebody in one project and they, they think they, they'll be great in everything when really it was too small of a sample size. Listen, um, the dude has himself personally addressed this. He has said he's not. He calls Bond the B word. He says, I'm not the B word. But I don't know. That might be a misdirect, I suppose. But I haven't seen any legitimate things suggesting that he's going to be the next Bond. If he is, 
I'll be a little apprehensive just because, again, I don't know if he's a good actor or not. He was great in The One Thing, but I need to see him play something else to kind of feel better about it. And I've only seen him in The One Thing. But maybe he'll be great. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. As far as, like, again, the Superman thing, I don't do X actor and X role. Uh, If they did announce him, I'd be like, okay, I suppose. But I just don't know if he's a great actor or not. See, with... um, uh, when you're talking about Superman, if you go back to Man of Steel, Henry Cavill, like I had seen him in a couple of things, smaller things, but like things like the Tudors and stuff like that. And you realize, no, this guy's blue chip. This guy's totally blue chip. He's going to be great, but I don't know. We'll see. All right. Next up, uh, Nosferatu writes, Han and Leia had a beautiful wedding. Even the cake was in tears. I'm not going to lie, Nosferatu. I have no idea what you're trying to say there. Sorry about that, man. All right, Garrett writes. Like, I get it. There are tears to a wedding cake. I don't understand the joke, though. Anyway, uh, Garrett writes. Hello, John. I was wondering, after getting a taste of the Time Variance Authority in Loki, I have to wonder if they somehow allowed Doctor Strange to maintain the Time Stone and be able to protect our reality like he told Tony in Infinity War. I don't know. See, here's the thing. The way... The, the sacred timeline was set up and described in the first episode of Loki. It leaves me a little bit confused as to whether everything within and uh, constantly bringing up this remote control, but if everything is contained within it, like even Dr. Strange and his, you know, eye of Agamotto and the time stone and being able to do all that kind of stuff that all happens within the sacred timeline. So it doesn't interfere with the sacred timeline. I mean, I don't know. I'm looking forward them to giving a little, like fleshing it out a little bit more. Um, Like, could Doctor Strange really disrupt things if he wanted to? Maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, I mean, remember, the Infinity Stones, like even you taking the TVA, powerless, powerless. So really, could just that stone do much? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. It's something that, that I'm wondering a little bit myself, too, and we'll see if they address it a little bit more in further Loki episodes or once we get into Spider-Man No Way Home or once we get into Doctor Strange 2, we'll see where that goes. Because you're asking the same question I am, Garrett, because uh, I'm wondering the kind of the same thing. All right, Ryan Loner writes, Tara Strong, who plays Miss Minutes in Loki, uh, well, does the voice of it, uh, is now kind of, sort of, a new member of the club who's been in both Marvel and DC. She was the voice of the Suicide Squad candidate who is most definitely not Harley Quinn in that one Arrow episode. And she's done a lot of DC animated stuff as well. I know she was back. Listen, Tara Strong, by the way, good Canadian girl, uh, has, if I'm not mistaken, I remember hearing like she has over 600 credits on IMDb. 600 credits. She is a very active and prolific voice actor. So everything from My Little Pony to just about anything, Powerpuff Girls, you can connect her to probably every cinematic universe that is out there in one way, shape, or form. Uh, Again, good Canadian girl, over 600 credits to her name. Yeah, you can connect her to just about everything, dude. All right, next up, uh, we've got The Mighty Monarch who writes, Hey, John, Injustice was actually based off a two-part episode from Justice League animated series called A Better World. Uh, the Justice League became a new regime, uh, but more cold. They became militaristic after their Flash is killed by President Luther. Fun show. Yeah, I've seen it. I thought it was pretty crap. Uh, Injustice did it. I mean, that's just my opinion. Uh, Injustice did it a thousand times better. Like I get the basic concept of it, of what happens if this goes bad, 
But Injustice did it like way, way better. I mean, if I'm thinking of the right one, and I think I am thinking of the, the right thing you're talking about, uh, and I believe I saw it, and it's, again, it was just all Marvel and DC straight-to-home video stuff is just drivel. There's a few there's a few exceptions. I, I admit, there are a few exceptions that I've enjoyed. But most of them, the straight-to-home video animation crap is cheap, bottom-of-the-barrel scraped garbage, in my opinion. But that's just me. Better than anything I can make, <laughs> but I'm not the standard of excellence, am I? All right, next up. Uh, Aaron E. writes, this has to be said. In the world of YouTube, there are tons of movie channels. Yours is the only one that gives us uh, news mixed with humor and heart. There are other ones I love, like Mr. Sunday Movies. He makes some really good videos. Jeremy Johns uh, and Dead Meat. Never heard of them. But uh, you will always be number one. Thank you. And I'm sure, listen, this is one of the great things about, about YouTube, particularly for the movie fan community. And this is why I'm always telling people who are big movie fans Get involved in the movie fan community. Start a blog, podcast, or YouTube channel. Because it doesn't matter if you get five people watching, listening, or reading, or 50 people watching, listening, or reading, or 500. The key is add your voice to the conversation. And because you never know when, even if just one person finds it and like really your voice resonates with them and they enjoy it and whatever. Plus, it's just great as a fan to engage your own fandom, right? To really get involved with the thing you are a fan of and just doing it. It's just a great exercise as a fan. So the one of the great things is that there are so many uh, YouTube channels, blogs, and podcasts about movies, but that's not a bad thing. A lot of people think, well, that waters it down. Okay, that might be true, but I think there is value to the fans having a voice. Now, it's up to you whether you, there's voices you'll want to listen to and voices you won't want to listen to. But there are so many different types of people with so many different types of tastes and preferences that there's something out there for everybody. And if you creating a blog even just connects with two or three people who can really resonate with your voice and you're able to add to their experience, that's all worth it. Or maybe only two or three people watch your YouTube channel, but it helps you enjoy the movies you're talking about even more, then it's all worth it. And I love that that's out there. So yeah, it means like I've never even heard of 98% of whatever movie channels or blogs or podcasts are out there, but that doesn't mean there's not great, meaningful, important, valuable resources there. So I love that. So thank you for the kind words, Aaron. E. I appreciate that very much. It really means a lot to me, man. All right, next up. Power is power rights. I have a love slash fear relationship with YouTube's Krugesakt. Uh, I'm not even familiar with it, to be honest with you. The anxiety of knowing how incomprehensible the size slash age of the universe is and how insignificant Earth is. That being said, I think Loki took it all in pretty well. Well, this Loki, at least. Yeah, you know, I was talking on, I think I was talking on the John Campius show the other day where somebody was like, well, and I, I get what they're saying, like, like, how come in the first part of episode of episode one of Loki, Loki acts, acts kind of like a wuss? Well, I said, remember, you are talking about an Asgard, Asgardian god, the god of mischief, who has been everywhere, seen everything, has been in existence for thousands of years, is the son, at least adopted, of the all-father Odin himself, who travels the Bifrost, who, I mean who has wielded infinity stones. Now you take that guy and all of a sudden confront him with, yeah, what you've done is nothing. And you are nothing. You have no power. We don't care who you are. You're nothing. We've got something that's way beyond, not only way beyond you, we got something that's way beyond your father, Odin. 
Like even your all father owed nothing compared to us. Boom. Like that would be crazy. And I love the way they portrayed that and how Tom Hiddleston acted as Loki taking all that kind of in because I believe knowing Loki the way we know him, that is how Loki would react. And I really thought it was done very well on that level. Power is power. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. Next up, uh, uh, Capri Grant writes, one of four. Uh, Sorry, John, I didn't get a chance to send in my Loki thoughts and such. While I really like this episode, I can't help but point out that it introduces some flaws in logic. I already know you disagree, but hear me out. The TVA exists to protect the sacred timeline. Their duty is to capture variants who divert from that timeline and erase branching timelines. That was fine until Judge Wren tells Loki the Avengers were always meant to go back. Uh, if true, logic would dictate that Endgame Tony was always meant to get knocked over and lose the Tesseract because of Hulk and and uh, because of Hulk and Loki was meant to get the Tesseract. No, that's not true. Uh, was meant to get the Tesseract in the confusion and end up embroiled within the TVA. Uh, There is quite literally no logical reasoning backing up the assertion that Loki wasn't meant to get the Tesseract when fate uh, literally dropped it in his lap, essentially. That's not true. That's why it's a Nexus event. That's why it's a variance. That's the whole point. Anyway, uh, it's two plus two equals four. That's not true. Uh, To be continued when I have more money, (laughs) your thoughts. Yeah, no, see, that's the thing. And remember... The whole thing that they introduced was, again, the remote control again, but the the timeline, everything is kind of set, and it has played itself out infinite numbers of times. But once in a while, a variance happens. Once in a while, something that does, in the midst of everything else going on that is supposed to happen, right? In the midst of, oh, yeah, this is all supposed to happen, this is all supposed to happen, this is all supposed to happen. And then all of a sudden, within the midst of other Millions of things going on that are supposed to happen, a variance occurs. A variance occurs. So, yes, Tony was supposed to get knocked over. Yes, the Tesseract was supposed to go, go flying. But maybe Loki wasn't supposed to notice the Tesseract going flying. Maybe it was supposed to slide further that it wasn't just right there within his reach. Maybe, but that becomes the variance. That becomes that little detail that is out of line with the millions of times this is played over and over and over and over and over again. And so he reaches down, picks it up, and the nexus event occurs and he becomes a variant. So remember, any variant, any variant, and any nexus event would take place surrounded by millions of other little things that were happening the way they were supposed to until the one detail variance and then the nexus event comes into being so any variant event you could say well yes but the light turned red like it was supposed to turn red and that guy went through the intersection that that was supposed yes yeah because everything was happening the way it was supposed to until one little detail took a left turn and that one little detail was maybe it was how far the Tesseract slid. Maybe the detail that Loki normally wouldn't, doesn't notice the Tesseract sliding by. Maybe normally it's not within his reach. Or maybe normally he just decides to take it, like just watch to see what transpires and doesn't reach down. I mean, whatever it is, saying that everything else happening around him was supposed to happen, that's consistent. 
any variance is going to be surrounded by a billion other little details that are happening the way they're supposed to until the one little thing happens that deviates it and becomes a Nexus event. So anyway, that's how I've interpreted it as a fan. Maybe my mind will change. Like once we get into episodes, well, I've already seen two, but once we get into episodes three, four, five, and six, maybe they'll introduce new information that'll make me change my my perception of it. But as a fan watching it, that's how I perceived it. And to me, it's very consistent and completely makes sense. But that's just my thoughts. All right, thanks for sharing your thoughts with me, man. And let's see where it goes, Capri. Let's see where it goes. Maybe they'll flesh it out a little bit more and and maybe we'll I'll start to agree with you more than not. So who knows? All right, thanks for sending that in, man. Next up, Aaron E. writes, I, uh, oh, sorry, also, I own a chain of pizzerias in New York City, and I have all sorts of crazy and creative pies. I have a lot of them that I name after countries in the world. Since you are Canadian, here we go, uh, what would you say is the best representation of a Canadian pizza? Oh, okay. I like that question. <sighs> I, I mean, I don't know. Like, the reality is most pop cultural things between the U.S. and Canada are very, very similar. Uh, with with obviously some cultural differences. If I was making a pizza that was a Canadian pizza, um, well, instead of regular bacon, I'd have female bacon or back, you know, Canadian bacon on it. Obviously, um, I don't know what else would be all that different. I mean, Canadians and Americans eat their pizzas pretty similarly, but I guess the one big variance, if you will would be on any pizza that had bacon. I mean, just take a just take a pepperoni bacon pizza, but replace the regular pizza bits with Canadian bacon, with female bacon. Put that on there, and there you go. You've got your Canadian pizza. I mean, if you wanted to go crazy, you could literally scoop some poutine on it. You know, gravy, curd cheese, and, you know, fries, and put, I mean, if you wanted to. But, I mean, honestly, just having female bacon on there, I think will do, will do the trick. All right. Next up. Thanks for that, Aaron. All right. Objection. Right. It's one of two. Okay. So I get it. The preemptive defense of it was supposed to happen rivals, even infinity wars out of 14,605 possibilities. We only win one. Whatever fan argument that's made is immediately overruled. Um, it was hilarious in the open spoiler Q&A how often you referred back to the defense and will continue to do so for the next five weeks. I turned it into a drinking game, but I'd be dead by the next companion video. I mean, true, but I mean, think about it. Here's the thing. Because they laid out that the timeline play has played itself over infinite numbers of millions of times. And what is supposed to happen, whatever happens in it is supposed to happen, right? Other than the variance. Of course you keep going back. That's like saying this. Okay, so Bob got confronted by a mugger in the street and he was shot in the face with a shotgun and it blew his head off and he died. Okay. When human beings, regular human beings, get shot in the face with a shotgun and half their head blows off, they die. That's just a rule of nature, okay? We die. So imagine now somebody come around and says, well, yes, but what happened? What if, though, once he was shot in the face with a shotgun, an ice cream truck rolled by and it dropped vanilla ice cream on his face? Maybe then he comes to life. No. When you're shot in the head with a shotgun and half your head blows off, you die. Okay, yes, but what if... Um, after he was shot in the head with a shotgun and half his head blew off, what if he fell down 
and a family of ducks came watching by. Maybe he would come back to life as Duckman. No. The way our reality works is when a human being, a regular human being, is shot in the face with a shotgun and half of his head is blown off, he dies. Yes, but you can say yes, but all you want. You keep coming back to when a human being gets shot in the face with a shotgun and half your head is blown off, you die. It may irritate you that you keep going back to that argument, but it is the irrefutable argument. So, of course, you keep going back to that argument. Oh, obviously, they have set it up in this thing that the timeline that everything other than the variance, everything in the timeline is supposed to happen. You know, uh, uh, Doctor Strange bargaining um, with Dormammu. That's supposed to happen. Old Man Steve, that is supposed, that's part of the, the sacred timeline. The Avengers jumping around. That was part of the sacred timeline. I mean, so yeah, it may sound funny to keep going back to that argument, but it's like, yes, a human being getting shot in the face with a shotgun, blowing half his head off, will die. Yes, but you can say yes, but all you want. You're going to keep coming back to when a human being gets shot in the face with a shotgun and half his head blows off, he dies. So yes, it is funny that you keep going back to it, but it's because... You have to keep going back to it because it is the underlying reality and context of this whole scenario. So anyway, there's that. But we'll see. We'll see what else they introduce. We're only, everybody's only one episode into Loki so far. We got five more to go. And so let's see if things change as we move forward. Because I'm sure there's a lot more for them to introduce and a lot more information we're going to get that may alter the way we see things. All right. Uh, Next up here, we got a silly goose who writes, the other day, you and Rob said that Risk is your favorite board game. I love Risk. It's my favorite, favorite board game of all time. Uh, I, too, am, fi- uh, am a fine gentleman, as it is my favorite board game as well. Have you ever played Ticket to Ride? Never heard of it. Uh, if not, I highly recommend it. Sorry, this was not movie-related. Thanks, boss. No problem. It's okay to throw in a fun little non-movie-related thing now and again if you want. If it's a fun little thing like this, I appreciate that. Yes. I mean, I have spent... Not as many hours, you know, as like as playing role playing games like, you know, DC Heroes or Star Wars role playing game or Dungeons and Dragons. I've spent more time doing that, but I've spent a lot of hours of my life playing Risk with good friends and buddies. Uh, playing Risk, I loved it. I love playing Risk. It's a great game. Very frustrating game sometimes. Like Settlers of Catan can can cause a breakup of friendships, if not done. Why are you attacking me there instead of attacking the other guy there? There's no reason for you to attack me there. I mean, it can cause some pretty heated debates, but Risk is great. Uh, I love a good board. Actually, Anne and I, Anne loves board games too. We have like 30 or 40 board games here, and we love having game nights. We have, I mean, obviously the last year or so, we haven't had a ton of game nights, but we love game nights. And now that the uh, the pandemic is is where it's at right now in California, we're starting to plan some more game nights and stuff like that. And I've not heard of this one, but I will keep my eyes open for it. Silly Goose, thank you for the recommendation. I appreciate that. All right, next up. Uh, Brandon Visconti writes, Greetings from New Hampshire. So, everyone's talking about the Fantastic Four, but I never hear anyone talking about the 1994... Oh, dude, we bring up the 1994 version all the time, the Roger uh, Corman one. Absolutely, we bring that up all the time. A version that was uh, unreleased to the public. Oh my God, it's so bad, but really entertaining. Your thoughts. Oh no, I just think it's so bad, it's bad. And by the way, I will often bring up that Roger Corman one as whenever people try to say... Because there are people out there who like to think they sound smart, I'm going to put on the glasses right now just so I can push them up. There are people out there 
who like to say think they sound like sophisticated, but I, ugh, practical effects are always better than CGI. Bullshit. That is like that is the most untrue. I sound smart if I say, oh, well, practical effects are always better than CGI. That's complete, utter bullshit. That's complete, utter bullshit. That's completely not true. Like everything, there is a time and a place. There is a time and a place. There are circumstances where practical effects do come across much better on screen. Absolutely. But you're drunk if you don't understand that there is a lot of times where CGI is the best way to go. Absolutely. And one of the things I often point back to is Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Really? Practical's always better, huh? Uh-huh. Okay. Why don't you go back there and take a look at Corman's Fantastic Four? Then come back and let's have a discussion. Anyway, again, I'm not saying that CGI is always better. Not at all. There are absolutely times when practical is the best choice. 100%. But that is a movie that I'll often refer back to. And it is funny how often it actually comes up. Brandon. And I, I, am, I, I am not completely in agreement with you because, yeah, it's bad. But not to me in the sense of it's so bad it's enjoyable. Like, to me... It's not like Vanilla Ice is cool as ice, which is the world's, the history's all-time greatest so bad it's awesome to watch. It's just, that Fantastic Four movie is just dreadful. I mean, it's just bad. Not even fun bad. I mean, just bad, bad. But that's just my take on it. Thanks for sharing that, Brandon. All right, next up, Suthius writes, uh, where are we at here? There he is. Suthius writes, I find it interesting that Steve staying behind with Peggy is not considered a nexus breach of the timeline. Otherwise, the TVA would have reset Steve right then and there. Absolutely. Instead, we see old man Steve. Very interesting that that is a part of the sacred timeline. Again, everything, just assume everything that happens in our timeline is supposed to happen because it's played itself out a billions and billions of times. It is the sacred timeline. Everything that happens in is part of it. And it's weird that some odd little detail, like, oh, Loki was just standing there. The Tesseract just happened to stop there. He noticed it and he picked it up. That was a variance. So it's weird. But yeah, again, we we are still thinking in terms of being inside the sacred timeline instead of thinking it of like Agent Mobius being outside of the timeline looking at it. So yeah, you think, well, this big thing like old man Steve, that would have been, a, no, that's like everything that happens is a part of the sacred timeline. There you go again, right? All right, next up. Uh, let's see. My Comic Planner writes, news just broke. Uh, the movie pass lawsuit confirms, I read about this the other day. The movie pass lawsuit confirms that they changed their most active subscribers' passwords so that they would have trouble buying tickets to slow down usage. This is incredible. The more we learn about this company, the more shady we find them to be. Okay, so for those of you who have not heard about this, MoviePass, which is now out of business. And let me see if I can bring up a... uh, 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 Let me see if I can bring up uh, one of the stories here that shows this. Um, So MoviePass, of course, was the company that, you know, with their card... You could go to unlimited movies, one movie a day, uh, all the times that you want, blah, 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 whatever. But there's obviously there's a lawsuit going on with them because they started having all types of problems. They were losing tons of money. Um, Everything was just like really bad for them. Everything was just really bad. 
And what happened was, so lawsuit, they're not out of business, but there was a lawsuit filed because people were paying for the services to get one movie a day. That was the promise. So what happened was, um, they started doing some really, really shifty, shifty things. Okay. They started doing some really shifty things. Like people were trying to go to movies and finding out certain movies were now blocked out and certain movies weren't a part of their thing. They couldn't uh, use their thing or anything like that. Then, you know, certain movies would pay movie pass uh, a, um, a promotional fee. Like I remember this one weekend I was trying to go see uh, a movie I think it was, what was that Jennifer Lawrence movie? I think it was called Red Sparrow or something like that. Anyway, where she was like a Russian spy. Let's call it Red Sparrow for argument's sake. So that movie was coming out on a weekend. The same weekend that that Bruce Willis, um, what was the name of that damn movie he did? Hold on a second. Let me, let me pull it up here. Um, Eli Roth. Eli Roth directed a reboot of, and I can't believe I'm freezing on the name of the movie, uh, but he did a remake of this classic vigilante movie, and it was called, where is it? Oh, I'm clicked on the wrong thing here. Here we go. It was Death Wish. Okay. So you had Death Wish that was coming out, right? on the same weekend, if I remember properly, as that Jennifer Lawrence movie, which I think was called Red Sparrow. So it just so happened that Death Wish bought some promotion on the MoviePass app. So that week, whenever you'd open your MoviePass app, you'd see like this Death Wish ad, right? So obviously Death Wish and the studio behind it paid MoviePass a bunch of money to promote Death Wish. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly acceptable business practices. They were promoting a movie that they got paid to promote. Totally cool. Where it got really shady was it just so happened that the other big movie opening that weekend against Death Wish, yeah, you couldn't use your movie pass to get tickets to that movie. If you wanted to go see a movie with movie pass that weekend, you had to go see Death Wish. Huh? So corrupt, so shady. And I told people for ages before, long before things got bad with MoviePass, long before things got bad with MoviePass, I told people for ages, this company is shady. This company is absolutely shady because they are trying to leverage like, mobster tech tactics like they're trying to uh squeeze movie theaters like oh, i'll tell you what amc theaters man it would be a shame if uh, our millions of subscribers couldn't use their movie pass to go see you know movies at your theater oh that would be a shame if we restricted access to your amc theater so tell you what amc theaters why don't you give us a little cut of your concession stand. This is all true, by the way. MoviePass tried to strong arm AMC theaters and other theater chains into 
cutting them in on their uh, revenue from the concession stands or else it would be unfortunate if uh, our movie pass members couldn't use their movie pass to go to your theater change. Wouldn't that be unfortunate? They were blackmailing. Their business model was to blackmail movie theaters. Oh, it'd be a shame. And then they started blackmailing some studios too. Oh, it'd be a shame if movie pass members couldn't go to see your movie. Wouldn't that be, you don't want that to happen. You should probably buy some ad space on our movie pass app. And I said forever, this company is shady. Nobody should support them. I mean, I was a movie pass member for a while before I started realizing all the shady stuff they were doing. I'm like, you know what? Get rid of these guys. Well, anyway, now what's 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 happening here now is that there's lawsuits going on. And within the lawsuit, it has been revealed that while MoviePass was getting really busy and every time people would buy movie tickets with MoviePass, MoviePass was losing money, it's been revealed that MoviePass, under the direction of their CEO, were purposely going in, finding their most active users, like the people who were using the card the most, and deliberately changing their passwords so that those people... Man, I, I don't get it. I'm not able to sign in to my movie pass app. I came to the theater to go see this movie, but I can't sign into my movie pass app. Man, there must be a technical glitch. The technical glitch was that movie pass had deliberately, underhandedly, shadily gone in and changed their passwords specifically so they couldn't log in and couldn't use their, their uh, service that they paid for. That is how dirty and corrupt. And you know what? I believe 100% we're going to find out more. I think we are going to find out more stuff than just this. As these lawsuits continue on, I think we're going to find out more. I think we're just scratching the surface of the, the depth of the corruption, the underhandedness, the sketchiness of this uh, of movie pass and the way they did business. And uh, I think we're going to find out even more. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, my comic planet. All right, next up. Uh, MovieReviews.Fart writes, In my opinion, Alexandra Daddario would make a great rogue. Mm, that's questionable. Uh, especially with her piercing eyes. Can I, before I re- continue reading on here, too many movie fans base their fan casting on what an actor and actress looks like. That should be the last thing you worry about. It really should. I mean, is it a consideration? Sure. Especially if you're talking about certain characters where the physicality of the character is a prominent thing. Sure. But I think for the most part, we way too often go lean back on like if, cause if that was the case, Hugh Jackman never would have been cast as Wolverine. That should be the last thing that we worry about. Anyway, uh, there's that. In my opinion, Alexander Daddario would make a great rogue, especially with her piercing eyes. I think Fox missed a great opportunity with the rogue character. Uh, I can see her in the MCU uh, as her 90s cartoon depiction, maybe even a rogue Remy LeBeau movie. Maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, did they miss an opportunity? I don't know. They only had so many movies that they could make. I'm not sure that they missed an opportunity. And listen, even though it was very different from the comic books, I really did like the way they used Rogue, particularly in the first X-Men movie. I, I thought that was actually a pretty cool usage of it, of the character. Um, would Alexander Daddario do great? I don't, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. I mean, I really like Alexander Daddario personally. But do I see her as Rogue? I don't know. I don't know. I don't... Personally, I don't see it. 
I don't see it, but eh, it is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, MovieReviews.Fart also writes, Hey, John, so I just finished a rewatch of Smallville, and man, uh, were those last three seasons unwatchable. Did you know that it's been 20 years since the Smallville series began? I didn't realize that. And exactly 10 years since the series ended, uh, 217 episodes about nothing. <laughs> about nothing. Now, I Listen, I like Smallville. I personally like Smallville. And yes, look, I understand. A lot of people do feel like the show was running out of steam in the last few seasons. And I don't necessarily disagree, but I also do think there were episodes in all three of those seasons that were pretty good. And I still overall liked watching those seasons. Uh, I don't I don't consider them to have been unwatchable by any stretch of the imagination, but a step down. Sure, I'll, I'll concede with that. But listen, movie reviews, not far. I, you're not alone. I, I know a lot. Actually, a couple of my friends that just hated the last few seasons of Smallville. Absolutely hated it. But it is weird to think about. It's been 20 years since that show started. I mean, it, when you look back on it now in hindsight, um, it really was a cultural phenomenon. What they were able to do with that show and what they were able to pull off was really rather impressive. And so uh, it, it, it's still, and people still talk about Smallville today. People still talk about it. And that's part of the reason why when, uh, Tom Welling, who played Clark in Smallville, when he popped up, because you don't see him much these days, but when he popped up on Lucifer as the antagonist for that entire season where he played Kane, loved him in that. I thought it was great seeing him in that. I thought he did a terrific job. I hope we get to see more of him. Maybe not his Superman, but I hope we get to see more of Tom Welling in the future. All right, next up. Um, okay, Jake G writes, okay. Uh, so since Thanos went through the portal at the climax of Endgame, Thanos did Thanos did not go through any portal. Are you thinking of Infinity War, where he steps through the portal at the end of Infinity War? Anyway, what happened in the timeline between 2014 and 2018 when Thanos wasn't around in space anymore? Looking looking for the stones, did the TVA just wipe that timeline? I don't know what you're talking about. What am I missing here? Because he didn't go through any portal in Endgame. He went through the portal at the end of Infinity War. He goes through the portal, but he not he did not disappear out of time and space. He just went to another planet, the planet he always wanted to go back to and just retire on and relax at and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I got, unless I'm missing what it is you're trying to say here, Jake, I, I apologize. I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking here uh, because Thanos didn't go through a portal at Endgame. He went through a portal at the end of, infinity war he did not disappear out of space he just went to a different location where he was still within time and space so again i'm not unless i'm missing something here that happens maybe i'm just missing something obvious i apologize for that jake all right last question of the day here guys that we have time for this comes to us from charlie upton who tips in like 20 dollars. thank you charlie for supporting our channel on that level and charlie writes Yo, In the Heights is out today. Of course, it came out officially yesterday. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not share with you. I was born and raised in Washington Heights, New York. My family is from the Dominican Republic, which so you're basically the family is in the Heights um, from the Dominican Republic. And this was my first background work. Oh, very cool. What an honor and blessing. Super lucky. Yeah, listen, I talked about this on the show yesterday. I was not I'm not going to lie. I was not excited about In the Heights even though I am a big fan of Hamilton, loved Hamilton. I saw it live. I've watched it. I watched it on Disney plus multiple times. I love Hamilton. The trailers for in the Heights just never did it for me. 
They were okay. There's nothing wrong with them. They just never really did it for me. But my wife, Anne, was like, we, she was counting down the days to In the Heights. She is a Hamilton fanatic. So she was counting down the days to In the Heights. She's like, we are going to see In the Heights. I'm like, all right, baby, you got it. Let's go. So we went to go see In the Heights the other night. And man, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. It's really, really good. Um, I was smiling and grinning and humming along and my wife was in tears because there's some sad parts and whatever. And I, by the end of it, like when it was over and the credits started to roll, Ann and I got up out of our seats. And we like literally started dancing in the aisles of the theater. We were, ha- we were having a good time. I mean, that's, it just puts you in that mood. It's not my favorite film of the year, but it's right up there. It's really good. And if you got to be a background performer in that, man, that is really cool. That is really, really cool. Okay, listen, guys, there are still more to go. But I can't go any longer today because today is uh, June the 12th. It is mine and Anne's anniversary. It is our anniversary today. And uh, she's out uh, running some errands right now, which is why I had time to shoot in a little companion video right now. But she, I think I just heard her come through the door home. We are going off to Anaheim. We're going to Disneyland for the weekend. We booked the hotel at the Disneyland Resort. We're going to go to Disneyland for a couple days. We're going to go out, have a good dinner tonight, watch the UFC afterwards because we both love UFC uh, and just have a good time tonight. So that's what I'm doing. So I only have uh, a limited amount of time today. So I had to cut this a little bit short, but do not worry guys. There are still more questions to go. Everything that was Charlie. So from uh, never lose your nerd to King Artros of Monteval, remember the past and on, there are more questions to come. Don't worry guys. We will get picked up with your questions. Yours will be the first ones we start with in our next video when we take live questions. So don't worry guys. Your questions haven't been lost. We're going to get to them there soon. All right, guys, thanks a lot for being here and being a part of this thing here today. By the way, guys, special thank you to all of you who sent in these live comments and questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this channel as you send them in. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so much for that support. You make it possible for us to do these shows. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends... Bye-bye.